Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you displayed the glory of your Son on the mountain for his three disciples to witness. Thank you that you have revealed that glory to us in your word. We confess our seeking after your glory according to our own will and our ignoring our own sinfulness. Let this glory, which was hidden in humility so that your Son would die for us, be given according to your will, and let us hear in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear fellow redeemed, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is the Holy Gospel appointed for the Feast of, this, of the Transfiguration of our Lord, the Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 17th chapter, beginning at the first verse. Please rise as we read again in Jesus' name. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up onto a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured in front of them. His face was shining like the sun. His clothing became as white as the light. Just then Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you want, I will make three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. Just then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were terrified. Jesus approached, and as he touched them, he said, Get up, and do not be afraid. When they opened their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Do not tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. With the whole Christian church, we call today the Feast of the Transfiguration of our Lord. When Jesus went up onto the mountain, it says he was transfigured in front of his disciples. The word means transformed or changed, and it describes also for us what happens to caterpillars in becoming butterflies. Jesus doesn't change in nature here, but he changes in appearance. Really, he only reveals the truth about himself, that he is the God of Israel, the one who hid his glory from Moses by placing him in the cleft of a rock, the one who sent fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice on the altar, which Elijah prepared before the prophets of Baal. This transfiguration day, consider what it means that Jesus' glory is revealed on this mountain, the significance when Moses and Elijah speak with him, and when he speaks with his disciples. Moses once asked God to see his glory. Please show me your glory, he asked on a mountain. And God answered, you cannot see my face, for no human may see me and live. And instead he allowed Moses to see his back. This same Moses, when he came down from the mountain, did not realize that the skin of his face was shining because he had been speaking with the Lord. Moses regularly spoke with God on the mountain until the tabernacle was built and the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tent. Moses was the prophet of God sent to deliver his people from Egypt. And the mighty works of God were shown through his hands for 40 years, beginning when he brought the plagues of God on Egypt 
and then while he led Israel through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. But partway through that journey, Moses sinned, striking the rock when God told him to speak to it. God said, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the eyes of the Israelites, therefore you will not bring this assembly into this land which I have given to them. And at the border of that land, God showed Moses the promised land from the top of a mountain. And there Moses died. The Lord buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was the greatest prophet of Israel, and he does not reach fully the promises given. Moses, the representative of the law, does not go to see the promise fulfilled. He does not get to see God's face, and he dies unfulfilled. And now, on a different mountaintop, he sees the face of his Lord shining like the sun. He sees the seed of the woman, the descendant of Abraham, clothed in bright, white righteousness. I think we can only imagine his joy. Certainly, he was enjoying the bliss of heaven since his death, but now to see the work of God done through him come to fulfillment, to see the prophecies that he had given of the, of the prophet who would be like him, only greater, the true deliverer from sin, the one who would defeat the devil, he must have been overjoyed to see all this fulfilled. Moses was not there to speak with Peter, James, and John, as Peter apparently thought he was. Moses was there to speak with Jesus. When Elijah came to Israel, he was appointed by God to prophesy to Ahab and to others, bringing the message of God's judgment and to perform more miracles and plagues. Together with Elisha, he was the center of the second great age of miracles after Moses. He proved God's power over the false gods when God worked through him and answered his prayer with fire. Fire from the Lord fell on the sacrifice Elijah had prepared, and on the wood, the stones, and the dirt, and consumed them. It even licked up the water in the trench. Elijah also sought to see God, but when God came to him, it was not in the mighty wind that Elijah heard. It wasn't in the powerful earthquake he felt. It wasn't in the blazing fire he saw. Instead, God spoke to Elijah in a soft, whispering voice. The time of Elijah was a troublesome one for the people of God. The kingdom was divided. War was constant. and The kings regularly steered worship away from the Lord and toward idols. Elijah's message was almost constantly one of judgment and wrath. When he was most despondent, God showed him that he had preserved the faith of 7,000 Israelites and that his promise was not empty. And then God determined to take Elijah away. He was walking with Elisha, his disciple, and suddenly a chariot of fire with horses of fire came and separated them. So Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Only a few people were ever taken bodily up into heaven, and Elijah was granted the blessing of entry into glory ahead of the full reign of God. And now, on another mountaintop, Elijah stands in the presence of his glorious Lord, who again came not with powerful wind, disruptive earthquakes, or mighty fire. Instead, this Lord, whose face is shining as the sun, and whose clothes are as white as the light, will descend from this mountain to walk to Jerusalem where he will be persecuted by the rulers who seek his life. 
And whereas Elijah escaped death, his Lord would lay down his life obediently into death on a cross for his sins. Another prophet foretold, Remember the law of my servant Moses, which I commanded to him at Horeb to serve as statutes and judgments over all Israel. Look, I am going to send Elijah the prophet to you before the great and fearful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with complete destruction. After this transfiguration, the disciples asked Jesus about this prophecy specifically. And Jesus answered that John the Baptist filled the role of Elijah, proclaiming the message of repentance and preparing the way of the Lord. Elijah on the mountain was not there for the disciples or for the people. He was there to speak with Jesus. And yet this vision was given to the disciples. This event is recorded for you. By seeing this, you can remember the promises of God that he is faithful. You can remember the law of his servant Moses. You can see how incompletely that law reaches, how the commands will not sanctify anyone. But the promise remains, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. How can the robes of sinners become as white as their transfigured lords? St. John saw in another vision a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing in front of the throne and of the Lamb clothed with white robes, the ones coming out of the great, great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. John the Baptist, the second Elijah, proclaimed the message that reflected the Passover instituted by God through Moses. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And both Moses and Elijah are described by St. Peter in his first letter. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that has come to you searched and studied carefully concerning this salvation, trying to find out what person and what time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you when they wrote about these things. These are the things that have now been announced to you by those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even the angels long to look carefully into these things. And therefore they point you toward Jesus. The voice from heaven said the same thing. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. The foolishness of Peter is always highlighted in this text. Some even say he is impetuous. The glory of the Lord appears before him, and he, unlike the shepherds or Zechariah or the many others who fell on their faces when God's glory was revealed, he dares to speak up. He dares to interrupt the heavenly conversation among Jesus and these two prophets. And he says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you want, I will make three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was certainly thinking about a number of things. He thought that this mountain ought to be a permanent place of worship because the glorious vision was given here. Like the tabernacle of the Old Testament here, there should be three tabernacles where people can speak with God and with these prophets. Peter was thinking of a theology of glory. He wants to harness 
this glory to accomplish the wonderful things that he wants. Maybe that includes the political goals of Israel, liberation from Rome, and a new earthly reign. Maybe it's something else. But the point is, Peter wants this glory to fit into his idea. He thought further that this was work that he ought to do. Lord, it is good for us to be here. Not because of what Jesus was giving, or what Jesus was doing for him, but because of what he thought he could do to serve God. And you'll notice that no one actually knows where this mountain is. The Gospels leave it unnamed. Many people have tried to figure out which mountain Jesus was transfigured on, but I think the Gospels leave it unnamed intentionally so that no one else can try Peter's mistake. The reason no tabernacle is necessary on this mountain and no work of Peter or anyone else is appropriate at this moment is because of Jesus. What happens next is similar to what happened at Jesus' baptism when a voice spoke from the cloud and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. Here, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. Just then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Many believe that the cloud was perhaps another manifestation of the Holy Spirit, as when the cloud came into the tabernacle in the Old Testament, and the fact that it overshadowed them, just as Mary was told that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and the power of the Most High would overshadow her. But in any case, this proves that no tabernacle is necessary here because Jesus is himself the tabernacle. He is the temple. He is the one in whom the final sacrifice would be made and the one in whom we have access to God. And this key was missed by Peter, that six days before this transfiguration, Jesus had said, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. This transfiguration, this manifestation of glory was to preach what St. Paul did in his letter to the Philippians. Indeed, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Though he was by nature God, he did not consider equality with God as a prize to be displayed. But he emptied himself by taking the nature of a servant. When he was born in human likeness and his appearance was like that of any other man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Peter thought it was about the glory, but do not forget the cross. Without the cross, you and I cannot receive glory. After these three disciples were shamed and terrified, Jesus approached, and as he touched them, he said, Get up and do not be afraid. When they opened their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus alone. And there the sermon was complete. Let go any thought of obtaining glory apart from this Savior who gives you comfort. Let go any thought of trying to hide or minimize your sin. As St. Paul declared in no uncertain terms, in fact, there is no difference because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And that redemption that Jesus brought came through his blood. 
He shed his blood to pay the price for your sins. He drank the cup of God's wrath, drained it dry so that you could escape it. This transfiguration was a private event for these three disciples because Jesus did not want the misconception of his glory to run rampant about him. Instead, he said, do not tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead, because then the message would be shared in the context of where Jesus' glory had gone. He hid it, he quieted it, and he died humbly with that glory. But those disciples would be able to see while their Lord hanged naked on a cross, while his blood spilled and dripped down, while his breath was ragged and pained, that this was God himself. How could they forget the light that shone from his blood-stained face? How could they forget the glory that lit up the clothes taken by the Roman soldiers? They knew even before the centurion that truly this was the Son of God. And therefore, when they shared the news of his resurrection, they could tell everyone that God had died for them. And God had risen from the dead for them. As a result, when you hear this word, along with the billions who have heard it before you, you can be sure of who it was that saved you. You can hear Jesus. You can listen to his word that he bore his cross for you. You can see his face shining with glory by, but twisted in pain because he purchased your life. You can see the truth behind the humble, silly things that God gives to you. Salvation is yours. Jesus takes you out of the mistake of Peter and gives you simple water with his word. Listen to him in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That water then gives you salvation. He gives you simple bread and wine with his word. Listen to him. Take, eat, this is my body. Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And he gives you simply his simple word, spoken through the mouths and touched in the hands of simple men. Listen to him. Whenever you forgive people's sins, they are forgiven. Whenever you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. You are forgiven. Your glorious Lord took up your humble flesh and went to death, and he rose again to share that same glory that he possessed with you. It might not look like much right now, but remember that the angels have longed to look into these things. You have them. Jesus, with his glory, comes to you humbly in these things to carry you to his glory in eternal life. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.